isn't the diaphragm a wonderful thing? That dome-shaped muscle and tendon that sits up underneath your ribs, pulling down, creating extra space in your chest, and in effect, pulling air into your lungs in order to fill that space, in order to equalize the decrease in pressure that is caused by the increase in volume in your upper chest. But have you ever thought about where that space comes from? Unless you're a medical professional, have you ever wondered, have you ever considered what happens to your insides when you take a really deep breath? That breath, that space is possible because the diaphragm pushes everything else inside of you down in order to make more room. You don't have any empty space in your body. So when you breathe deeply that, like that, that's why it feels like you're breathing into your stomach. That's why your belly sticks out when you're taking those deep breaths because that belly gets filled with all the other stuff that's being pushed out of the way. Your liver, your stomach, your spleen, your guts, if you will. When the diaphragm pulls down so that you can take that really deep breath, it pushes all of those organs out of the way so that your lungs can fill up with fresh air. In a sense then, the diaphragm is a sort of flexible wall that separates your thorax from your abdomen, your chest from your belly. Back in the ancient world, the diaphragm wasn't thought of simply as the primary muscle used in respiration. It was the barrier that separated your guts from your heart. In other words, your visceral emotions from your cognitive control. Why do you think we still say things like, trust your gut or follow your heart? Back in the Apostle Paul's day, we understood that raw feelings come from your belly. And what you decide to do with those feelings comes from your heart. And the thing that separates the two, the place where those two meet, is that dome-shaped muscle and tendon on which the heart rests and under which the guts dwell. Paul writes, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. That seems reasonable enough, doesn't it? If you belong to the Spirit, if you are a Christian, then you should act like it and think like it. But what our English translation fails to convey is that the verb Paul uses, the verb that is translated for us as set your mind upon, doesn't actually have anything to do with your mind. The word at the root of it is the same word for diaphragm. So when Paul tells the Christians in Rome that they should set their minds on the things of the Spirit, what he's really telling them 
is not that they should think about godly things, but that they should put their diaphragms in the right place. In other words, he's telling them that as children of God, as people who believe in Jesus and who are possessed by the Spirit, they must align that thing that separates their guts and their hearts, their emotions and their thinking with their true identity. He's telling us that the Christian life flows from that place where our thinking and our feeling come together. He's telling us that we can only succeed in following Jesus when the Holy Spirit lives in that place, that place where our visceral and our cognitive selves are one. In other words, we cannot be either head Christians or heart Christians. We've got to be both. We cannot follow Jesus with our minds, our intentions, or our choices until our passions and our motivations and our hungers belong to Christ too. But that isn't easy. That isn't easy. It isn't easy to believe in our minds, what we feel in our core, when there is so much struggle in our lives and in the world around us. We might know in our guts that God is in control, but how are we supposed to know that in our minds when the world around us seems to be falling apart at the seams? And we might be able to rationalize a belief that one day the one who made all things and made them good will bring all things to their perfection, but how are we supposed to feel that same confidence in our bellies when we can't even make it through one day without experiencing all of the anger, resentment, selfishness, greed, fear, and anxiety that make us feel like God is infinitely distant from us. The way of Jesus offers a remarkable answer. Instead of suggesting that we've got to think harder, or feel stronger in order to make ourselves true Christians, the gospel tells us that because of Jesus Christ, we already belong fully to God. We just need to orient our diaphragms, our true selves, to that fact. We can't think or feel or act our way into a closer relationship with our Creator. Instead, we must embrace the closeness that has already been given to us. No matter how hard we try, we cannot make ourselves into the fully integrated people that we long to be, people who think and feel and say and do what is good and right and beautiful. We can't do it. There is no exercise routine, no spiritual practice, no mindfulness app, that we can use to make ourselves whole. Instead, Christianity embraces the opposite approach to human nature. 
It acknowledges that that daily struggle that we endure, that struggle to align what we think and feel, that struggle reflects our complete and total incapacity to make ourselves the people we want to be. And into that desperate need for wholeness, Jesus comes. In Jesus Christ, God took upon God's self our sinful, broken nature, our flesh, in order that we might be set free from that brokenness and made whole, unified, integrated people, people who belong fully to God. The forces that once worked within us to pull us apart have been defeated by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Though a part of us still reflects our limited human nature, our true identity has already been changed. We are no longer subject to the powers of this world because we belong to God. In Christ, we are made whole. And in this life, that wholeness is enabled by the Holy Spirit that dwells within each of us. When that Spirit takes over, when we get out of the way and let God do God's thing within us, then we become wholly available to God and God's work in our lives and in the world around us. We become the people whom we were created to be, the people whom God has restored to union with God's self in Christ Jesus. Your job isn't to try to do what God has already done. You can't make yourself whole any more than you can make the world a perfect place. And you can't make yourself a child of God any more than you can make yourself the child of whomever your earthly parents are. But you can recognize what God has already done in your life. In Jesus Christ, you can see that you already belong fully to God. Even in a broken world, and even while inhabiting an imperfect body, you can recognize your true identity as one who belongs to God and one in whom God's spirit dwells. Set your mind on that. Set your mind and your heart, your thoughts and your passions, your dreams and your hungers on that spirit that dwells in you. Breathe that truth in deeply. Feel it fill not only your chest, but your belly as well. Let your whole self, that being within you where your guts and your heart meet, let yourself be taken over by the Holy Spirit. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.